Well, I love going to the movies. Uh, I'm a big superhero fan, and there's lots of those types of movies at the moment. And to be able to sit back in front of the big screen and be able to soak it all in, uh, I just love it. Uh, but it's not just uh, has, doesn't have to just be an action blockbuster. Lots of us really enjoy going to the movies. But of course, the danger of going to the cinema is that there are going to be other people who are there and they can wreck the whole experience for you by doing totally inappropriate things, like leaving their mobile on and taking the call, or talking out loud and giving their own commentary on the movie, heckling the plot line when they're frustrated with where the movie's going, uh, throwing popcorn at the people in front of them for their own amusement when they're bored. If anyone did these things, it would just be totally inappropriate, wouldn't it? Unacceptable behaviour, and you'd want them thrown out because they're just being selfish and they're showing no consideration for anybody else. Well, just as selfishness is totally inappropriate when you're at the movies, selfishness is totally inappropriate amongst God's people. And not just because it might ruin an experience for us, but because selfishness tears at the very fabric of who we are. It can derail the very purpose for which God has brought us together. And so we are not to live for ourselves as God's people were to live for others. Last week, hopefully you'll recall, uh, we were thinking about living lives that line up with Christ and what he's done for us. So if you can remember chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, this idea, this verse, is the summary verse of the whole letter. Uh, Right throughout Philippians, Paul is showing us the glory of Christ so that we'll live lives in a manner worthy of Christ. Last week, we saw that this means we are to be as one together living for Christ. Well, this week, Paul draws an obvious conclusion from that. And that is that if we're to be committed to Christ and his gospel as one man together, then this means there's no place for selfishness amongst us. There's no place for living for ourselves. If we're in this together, we have to live for the sake of others. That's Paul's big point right throughout chapter 2. Over the past few weeks, we've been working our way slowly through chapter 1, 5 to 10 verses at a time. This morning, we're looking at all of chapter 2, but the reason for this is that the whole chapter really is of a piece. Chapter 2 is all about one big idea, that conduct worthy of Christ is to live not for yourself, but to live for others. And Paul uh, teaches us this uh, two ways. He tells us, what to do. So you can see on your outline there, Paul commends things like humility and not complaining. Paul also showcases some people who have lived for others so that we would follow their example. And so he points us in the direction of Christ and Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's pick it up from verse one. And Paul starts with urging us to be humble. Uh, We're to look to one another's interests ahead of our own. We're to live not for ourselves, but for others. So chapter two, verse one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we are to be as one for the sake of Christ, if we're going to be like-minded in living for him and his gospel, then there is absolutely no place whatsoever for selfish ambition. It's just a contradiction in terms. Because as a church family, we are not on about me. And we are not on about you. We, together, are on about Christ. And so how could I dare try and use church for my glory or my selfish ambitions or my goals when, by definition, church is for Christ? Selfish ambition, vain conceit for us, they're just entirely inappropriate. It's like sitting at a table with a few invited guests and the first person to be given the bowl of prawns to take their share just tips the bowl upside down on their plate and takes a lot for themselves. It's just inappropriate. It's completely out of place. Selfishness is just out of place. It's completely out of place amongst God's people because we are living for Christ together. And so we're to be humble before one another. We're to put one another ahead of ourselves. We deliberately serve the interests of others because as those living lives worthy of Christ, we live not for ourselves, but for others. Now, this is not going to be easy all the time. Sometimes it will be, but not all the time. So there's a hundred or so adults associated with church at night. And then you've got all our children on top of that. And across us all, we've got plenty of differences. There's differences in our upbringing, differences in our income. We've got cultural differences. There is inevitably going to be some people in your church family that you just don't naturally click with. There may be even people here who just rub you up the wrong way. But conduct worthy of Christ, as we live out being one for him and his gospel, or we're to be humble before one another, regardless of whether we like them, regardless of whether they're easy to love, we're looking past all our differences and considering one another more valuable than ourselves, and so we're looking to each other's interests ahead of our own. And as we live this out... We're going to be just like Christ. He didn't serve only the people he liked. He didn't look only to the interests of the people that he got on with. He served sinners who deserved only his judgment. He lived for others. Even though he was owed everything, he took nothing. He lived and died, not for himself, but for others. He's the supreme example of humility. And in this, we're to be just like him. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even Death on a cross. There never was and there never will be anyone more humble than Christ Jesus. God himself, and yet he willingly stooped down and became a human to be a servant. So humble that even though he's God in the flesh, for our sakes he died. Even death on a cross to take away our sin. 
There is no illustration I can give you to equal the humility of Christ. I tried. Malcolm Turnbull coming to your place to clean your toilets. The Queen changing your child's dirty nappy. Even if these things did happen, which they never will, but even if they did, there'd be nothing compared to Christ. In very nature, God dying willingly on a cross for our sins. Every breath he took, right down to his last excruciating cry, he lived and died for others. Not for himself. And so the father raised him from the dead and made him the ruler of all creation. Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, there is a blinding majesty to the Lord Jesus, isn't there? You might have heard these words many times before. We we just sung them. But are you hearing what they're actually saying? That truly every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus. Every single person that has ever lived will one day acknowledge that Christ alone is Lord of all. Jesus really holds this place of splendor and power and majesty. And it's in the light of this majesty of Christ that we are to live out our lives as his precious children. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Because of all that Christ has done for us in his death for our sins. Because of who Christ is, the master and Lord of absolutely everyone. In the blinding light of Jesus, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a strange little phrase, that one, isn't it? Uh, Work out your salvation. Uh, Paul's not talking about a problem that needs working out, you know, like a maths question. Uh, Our salvation is not something that we need to try and figure out. Uh, I mean, it's just already just talked about Christ's death and resurrection. Jesus has already done everything needed to save us. Now, what he's talking about here is working out our salvation is simply seeing our salvation work its way out in our entire lives. You know that you've already been saved from sin. You know that when the Lord Jesus returns, you'll be saved from God's judgment. So live now in recognition of the salvation that is already yours. And we're to do this with fear and trembling, in deep reverence and awe of Christ, because he's in very nature God and yet became a man to die on a cross for us. He's been raised from the dead to be the absolute supreme ruler of all. And so live in careful reverence before your king. We're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of him and his gospel. And so we are to be like him. Humble. Living not for ourselves. But serving others. Living for them. Serving them that they might know Christ and honour him too.
giving up on our own interests, considering others better than ourselves, serving them in humility like Christ did, so that they would know Christ and put their trust in him too. From verse 14, Paul returns to giving us straightforward commands to follow to help us to know how we can live not for ourselves but for others as we live in a manner worthy of Christ. And what he zeroes in on is that we're to do everything without complaining and arguing. And I think one reason he targets complaining and arguing is because they are at their heart selfish behaviours, which is exactly the sort of thing we're not to be doing. Because why do we argue or complain? It's when we don't get what we want or things don't go the way we want and so we complain about it. You know, we argue over it. That's not living for others. It's living for yourself, pure and simple. And so Paul commands us to eliminate it altogether. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Eradicate it. It doesn't fit with living for Christ. It doesn't fit with living for others. So do everything without complaining or arguing. And as we do this, we will look very different to the world out there. Verse 14 again. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked excuse me, and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. See, doing everything without complaining and arguing will mean that we shine like stars against a dark night sky. We'll be so different to the world out there because the people of this world, as they live for themselves, they're quick to complain and argue. Over the April school holidays, uh, uh, as a family, we went and spent two weeks on the coast and on the way up there, we got some fuel on the highway and as I went to the teller to pay for the fuel... The ladies behind the counter were having a conversation about what a really good day they were having because it was 11 o'clock in the morning and they hadn't yet had anyone yell at them. On a daily basis, before lunch, they usually have several people argue and complain at them. But here it was, 11 in the morning and so far so good. Isn't that sad? The world around us is quick to vent their frustration when what they want isn't happening, but we, we're to do everything without complaining and arguing because we're living as one in a manner worthy of Christ. And so we're not living for ourselves, we're living for others. Let's think about how we can put that into practice here at Church at Nine. And clearly, this is a word of rebuke to us if We are people who are complaining a lot about, say, church. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not the perfect church, not by a long shot. We're striving to help one another grow as followers of Christ, but we always want to be doing this more and more and better and better. But there's a difference between loving, helpful, constructive feedback and just wanting to have a whinge and complain. So if you're someone who's just always feeling negative about church or the people or the leaders, or if you won't let go of some things that have happened in the past where things didn't go your way, if all you've got is gripes and complaints, Paul says, look up. See who Christ is. See what he's done for you. 
See where he's placed you in amongst his precious people. And see what he's called you to, to live together with his people as one in a manner worthy of him. And so stop living for yourself. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Stop seeing everything in church as it not being what you want or what you think should have happened. Look up. See the glory of Christ. The privilege of being amongst us, his people. And serve us as we serve you. Together, all of us, in humility, for the sake of Christ, not living for ourselves, but living for one another. Just like Timothy and Epaphroditus did. Not that they served us in particular, obviously, but Timothy and Epaphroditus are great examples of people who lived their lives not for themselves, but for others to see them honour Christ. As we live in a manner worthy of Christ, Paul says we'll shine like stars. Well, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're like the two pointers already in the sky. Terrific examples for us to follow. So let's first look at the shining example of Timothy. Uh, Paul wants to send Timothy to the Philippians. Remember, he's in prison, so he can't go to them himself. And just take a listen to Paul's glowing recommendation of Timothy because he was always living for others, not for himself. So from verse 19... I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He's a great guy, Timothy. A great one for living not for his own interest. Verse 20, he's genuinely interested in the welfare of others. But please notice, it was far more than Timothy just being nice to people. He was much more than that. Verse 21, the way he took a genuine interest in the Philippians' welfare was by looking to Christ's interests. The best possible thing for the Philippians was for them to know and honour Christ. And so Timothy did all he could to help them in this. Epaphroditus, similarly, was a great model for us to follow. Let's look at his shining example. And firstly, what Paul wants us to notice about Epaphroditus is, surprise, surprise, the way he lived for others. Uh, He got sick. He almost died. Even on his deathbed, though, his only concern was for the Philippians. Look at it from verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. So the Philippians had heard that Epaphroditus was seriously sick, but it's Epaphroditus who is worried about them. And how they're going to react when they hear the news. Epaphroditus, he's a guy that lived not for himself, but for others. But again, please notice, it's not just by being nice. There was an edge to Epaphroditus and his service of others. He lived for others so that they would know Christ. Look at verse 28. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. 
risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul clearly wants us to follow the example of Epaphroditus. He was to be honoured along with anyone else like him because, verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ. His sacrifices, his efforts were for Christ to see as many people as possible know and honour and love the Lord Jesus. He lived for others for the sake of Christ. And Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're two shining examples of what this whole chapter is about. Living not for ourselves, but for others. To see one another love Jesus more and more. So friends, let me close with two encouragements. Two encouragements. First one. I want you to be encouraged by Christ himself. As we think about living this brand new life that God has given us in Christ, remember that our Lord Jesus, he lived it himself to the extreme. Remember the one who served us even to the point of death. And so whenever you're finding it hard to live for others and not, and not for yourself, whenever you're finding it hard, look to Christ. Remember him. See in the Lord Jesus your perfect and complete salvation. See in Christ your perfect example. Fix your eyes on him. Love him. Thank him. And so serve others. And my last encouragement is to come up with one practical way you're going to live this out. This chapter, it really is a ripper at enthusing us with just how great Christ is and to spur us on in our new lives with God. So I want you to come up with at least one person you're going to serve in Christ. Think of at least one person that you are going to deliberately encourage to keep following Christ. Or one person that you can speak to about Christ, but they don't know him yet. At least one person that you can serve. And think about how you'll actually do it. It'll probably come at a cost. Because you won't be living for yourself, you'll be living for others. It might be for someone you don't normally mix with. But brothers and sisters, let's throw our weight behind Philippians chapter 2. Let's give our all in living not for ourselves, but living for others. So that they would know and love and honour Jesus more and more and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son, he lived and died as a servant, even to death on a cross for us. Father, thank you that you've raised him from the dead to be the absolute supreme ruler and Lord of all. Thank you that you've included us to be his people. And so, Father, we pray that we, in our attitude, would be just like him. Father, help us to be so content in knowing Christ and so captivated by his goodness that we would eagerly serve the people around us and not live for ourselves. Father, help us together to live for Christ and not for ourselves. And we ask it in his name. Amen.